0: If you have a Bible, we will be in Isaiah 40. So, Isaiah chapter 40 is where we're going to land, or if you want to look that up on your phone. This last week, I was preparing this message. One of my favorite spots to prepare messages is at Four Silos down the street. My friend Mike owns it, crazy hospitable environment. You'll hear Tom Petty on uh, the radio in the background. Then you'll hear like a worship song next. He kind of like just weaves it in, <laughs> which I love. And it really upsets people sometimes. <laughs> like, what is that? Um, but yeah, I'm sitting at the bar and I'm drinking my chai latte and I have my Bible open. And one of my friends from Redemption Gateway, his name's Bill, he sees me working through stuff. And he calls me over. He says, hey, man, I'm sorry uh, to bother you, but we just we have a question That we're wrestling with, and they're doing a Bible study there in the corner of Four Silos. And I walk over there, and he says, So, what do you say to somebody who denies the existence of God? What do you say? And I chuckle, kind of to my side. I chuckled out loud, actually. I'm like, I don't know, man. (laughs) And he goes, Well, you're the pastor, you're supposed to know these things. What do we say? And I laughed and I said, the first thing that comes to my mind is there's not one way to talk to somebody about how they're denying the existence of God, which is a little bit ironic because just yesterday, um, somebody from my neighborhood was sitting on my back porch and we were watching the rain together and he was talking to me about how he's losing faith. He doesn't believe in God anymore. And the way that I handled that is very unique to who that person is. So we talked about that, we talked about just how there's probably not one way, and then I told the story of, you know, I was that kid in junior high, some of my backstory is that I was like passing out marijuana at school, and I got the cops called on me, and then in a season of like, I'm in huge trouble, a friend of mine invited me to a Christian camp, and I said, no, why would I want to do that? And then he showed me pictures of girls that would be there, and I said, I want to do that, And so I asked my mom, can I go? And she says, yeah. And so for me, somebody who at the time didn't believe in the existence of God, actually vocalized as a seventh and eighth grader in in junior high, like very, I mean, I grew up in a small Christian town in central Illinois. Everybody kind of is a Christian family or Catholic or Lutheran or Methodist or whatever. Everybody goes to church on Sundays. Our family did not. And people would ask me about it. And I said, I just don't believe in that. And then they would push me. So what do you believe happens after you die? And I remember answering, I don't know, you don't know, do you? Do you know what happens after you die? And I would push back. And then they would invite me to church and I'd say, here's the deal. Why would I want to get up early on Sundays? That seems to be the only difference between you and me is that you wake up early on Sunday and my family sleeps in and watches football and that sounds better to me. So why would I wake up early? So for me, it took... A moment, caught by the cops, and then invited to this camp with pictures of girls that would be there, and then some really weird, red-haired junior high preacher named Rex, who I think was using puppets, and I thought that was stupid, and he was telling about this person Jesus, and then he kind of shared the history. I remember him sharing some of the history of the church and how the church has let a lot of people down, and that a lot of the church is filled with hypocrites, and that That really has caused a lot of people, myself included, listening to that guy, to deny the existence of God. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can actually follow Jesus. There's a way that Jesus invites us into, a way of life that he invites us into. And I remember him making that invitation. Does anybody want to follow Jesus in this room? And I was one of the handful of kids. I was sitting front row because that's where that girl was. And (laughs) I stood up and I said, all right, I'm all in. Let's do it. And so I started walking with Jesus, failing a lot, didn't know, like, (laughs) I couldn't have told you anything. I had no, like, foundation in the Word of God. And I had friends that showed me how to read the Word, that met with me every week. My punk rock band that was a Blink-182 cover band at the time became a worship band. We started leading every week on Wednesday nights. I started preaching in high school, and it was just kind of this slow, almost like a sunrise, you know, like it wasn't like a light switch clicked on for me, but over time, I just began to see more and more that God really does exist, and in our world, especially in the United States, how do we hold on to, like my question becomes today, December 4th, 2022, how do we, if you do believe in God, how do you hold on to that in a world of darkness and doubt? How do you hold on to the light? How do you continue to have faith? And I think Isaiah 40 has a lot to say about faith and how to hold on to it and grow into it. This is written at a time when the people of Israel would have been doubting a lot. And for right reason. They were caught in captivity. I mean, they were sold in slavery. Parents were separated from kids, if you could imagine that as a mom and dad, being separated from your Parents and then sold into slavery, you know, to the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And I think one of the beautiful things about the book of Isaiah is he doesn't just speak like, well, here's the truth, so you got to believe the truth, you better have faith. Do you know anybody like that? Has anybody ever told you about that? Like, kind of hits you over the head. People call them Bible thumpers, I think, where they just like slap you across the face with, this is the truth, you better believe it. And they don't talk at all about how beautiful the gospel is and how poetic God is. And I love this quote from uh, Eugene Peterson who wrote a version of the Bible. Eden, you can throw that up there. These are his words. He said, For Isaiah, words are watercolors and melodies, chisels to make truth and beauty and goodness, or, as the case may be, hammers and swords and scalpels to unmake sin and guilt and rebellion. Isaiah does not merely convey information. That's huge for us. He creates visions. He delivers revelation. He uncovers things. He arouses belief. He's a poet In the most fundamental sense, a maker, making God presence and that presence urgent. Isaiah is the supreme poet prophet to come out of the Hebrew people. I love that. And so whether it's you that's doubting or you have people in your life that are doubting, maybe don't yell at them so much as become a poet. Become somebody who describes the beauty of God. Because I think beauty is often the back door. Into people's hearts instead of right in their face, shoving it in there. So let's read this, verse 3 to verse 5. Very simply, Isaiah says, Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord, make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God, fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Strengthen or straighten the curves, smooth out the rough places. And then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. I just want you to imagine um, the people of Israel were spread out all over the place. And every year they were supposed to go to Jerusalem to worship. And as you would make your way to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage, This language, this poetic language that he's using is describing a lot of the people's journey into Jerusalem, okay? Because when you go into Jerusalem, you have to go through a lot of wilderness. When you go into Jerusalem, there's this highway, but it's through a wasteland. There's a lot of valleys. There's a lot of mountains and hills. There's a lot of curves. There's a lot of rough places. I've had friends hike through Jerusalem, around Jerusalem, in Israel. Even to this day, there are some hiking trails that literally go around these mountains into Jerusalem that are hundreds of feet tall on one side with just like a two-foot path along the edge and then another like 300-foot drop to your death. And I got to tell you, it's not like American tourist sites. There's no handrails, okay? It's still very dangerous to get into this place. And I think Isaiah is painting a picture here of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes on the scene hundreds of years later. Hundreds of years later, there's this guy, John the Baptist, who's Jesus' cousin. and This verse is quoted in every single one of the Gospels, right? Matthew, the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, the book of Luke, and the book of John. There's not, all, there's not a lot of things that occur in all four of those books. This is one of them, this passage, talking about John the Baptist preparing the way. He's that guy. That prepares the way in the wilderness. He makes straight the highway of the wasteland. He's going to fill valleys, straighten the curves because salvation is coming. They're going to see the glory of the Lord. And I want to put this on us this morning to reflect just for a moment around how did we get into this room today? And more importantly, how did you get even into the idea of maybe God does exist? Maybe he really does. Maybe, maybe this faith thing, this trust thing, isn't just a blind trust that is, uh, that's shaky, but maybe it's a foundation that is firm and I can put my life on it. And I can really trust that he does exist and he works for the good of those who love him. How did you get into this place? What wilderness did you have to go through? What highway or wasteland are you dealing with right now? What did the Holy Spirit have to do to clear the way for you? I mean, I told you a little bit about my story, but each of our stories are unique. I want to invite us, just as a a practice over the next couple weeks, take 10 minutes, 10 minutes, for real. Get out of bed early, just 15 minutes early. Grab some water, throw some water on your face. Sit down and journal with a clear head. How How did God clear the way for you to believe, if you are there, if you are a believer? If not, maybe the practice is as simple as, why don't I? What are, what's the things that are in my way between me and God in this season? After Jesus died and resurrected, I would have thought as a follower of Jesus, if I was one of the 12 especially, that he was going to put everything right in that moment. That all the pain, he was going to do this. Like whatever wasteland was a part of Israel, like the Roman government especially at that time, he was going to get rid of them and he was going to be the king. Whatever desert season I was going through, if my mom was sick or my kids were crippled, I mean, people were bringing their kids to Jesus to heal them in that way. When he died and resurrected, if I was a follower of his, I would have thought this would be worldwide, like this salvation was going to be cosmic. And he resurrects and he tells his disciples what? He doesn't say, no, now is not the time where I'm going to set everything right. This message actually has to go to the nations first. So I want you to start telling people the good news. Here's my Holy Spirit. Don't go out without my Holy Spirit. When I fill you with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to go, be, you're going to go bear this message in word and in deed. And when they did that, guess what happened? A lot of them died. Things didn't change overnight. This transformation of the world, the message getting out to everybody was hard. I mean, the Roman government literally, I don't know if you know the history of this, the little kids in the room, all right. They used to put uh, people on sticks in their courtyard, tar them, and light them on fire to tell people, this is what happens when you think Jesus is king. Because the real king is the Roman emperor. They went through a lot of suffering. There's a book in the Bible called First Peter, Peter the Apostle, He wrote it mostly to a people that were hurting, who were losing faith that God even existed. I mean, if he really did resurrect, and he's the king of kings, like, where is he? What's he doing? And in 1 Peter 5, at the end of the 1 Peter book, he says this. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. Get that image? He sounds like a poet too, doesn't he? Like a roaring lion, he's looking for people to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. He's reminding them that this way of suffering is the way of Christ. We follow a crucified Savior. I'm not sure what your view of Jesus is in this Christmas season, but Peter makes it pretty clear. You want to follow him, it's going to come at a cost. And he's not just going to eradicate every little pain in your life. He's actually going to welcome it a lot of times because it's often his sharpest tool to shaping you into the image of Christ. And then in verse 10 it says, In his kindness God called you to share in his eternal glory by the means of Jesus Christ. So after you suffer a little while, can you imagine what that would have sounded like to them who were suffering day in, day out? After you suffer a little while, some of these people had suffered for decades. A little while, Peter. In his books, he's one of the guys who says a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. And a day is like a thousand years. He's not slow in keeping his promises. After you suffer a little while, he will restore. He will support you. He will strengthen you. He'll place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Y'all, one of my favorite things. I don't know why God made me this way, but he did. One of my favorite things about being a pastor is trafficking with other people, walking with them as they're in pain. Crying with them, praying with them, sitting in the silence of, I don't know what's going to happen. And I wish I could just say a prayer and everything's solved, but often I'm praying, God, would you help us to remember your presence, even if you don't heal this person, even if you don't show up in this marriage, even if you don't help provide in these ways financially, even if you don't do that, help us to have faith in you. Whatever little suffering you're going through, God is often trying to help us become inside out more like Jesus as we suffer. And hear me on this. He's never going to force you. (laughs) He's never going to force anybody to believe that he exists. God's not desperate like that. He's not coercive. He's not manipulative. There's a difference between manipulating somebody and forming them in the image of Christ. There's a huge difference. And back to Isaiah, he says at the end of this passage, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. They saw it. They saw resurrected Jesus. 500 people, 1 Corinthians 15 says, over 500 people, saw Jesus in his resurrected state, you're going to see the glory of the Lord. The Lord has spoken. And I think there's a way for us in this Christmas season, besides journaling through, I think that's a cool practice to remember how you got to this room, what drew you to faith in the first place, what's keeping you in faith, or maybe what's stopping you from faith. But another practice that we can enter into together, another rhythm that we can do together, is we can be people who remember the glory of the Lord by soaking in Scripture. And maybe that's a huge, daunting thing of you, of like, I don't know where to start. Like, how do I read this thing? How do I soak in this? What does it look like to even pray in this? Like, how do I not just listen to it but obey it? And my favorite resource that I've ever come across, and I use it almost every day. Like every morning I wake up, it's usually the first thing I do is this resource right here. If you'll throw that up there, Eden. Huh? Great job. All right, Lectio 365. So, just I don't work for them. This is an international organization. They put this out for free every single day. They have a morning and evening time for you just to soak in the Word. If you're driving to work, you can press play. I, my personal uh, favorite is sitting down with it early in the morning before my kids wake up. Come on, praise God. And he's keeping them asleep and journaling through and actually saying the words out loud myself. I like that slow practice. But it goes through a psalm usually. Usually there's some kind of prayer But I think if we're going to experience the glory of the Lord being revealed to us, it's going to be through his living and active word. It's going to be by being people of the word, continually reminded of his goodness. This is a small prayer from this morning from Lectio 365. It just says, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. Bring rest to my heart and to my home. May my peace and perspective be renewed in the busyness of this season. How many of us need to be praying that right now? Like Sometimes I just don't have the words, and it helps praying somebody else's words. And I know some of you, because you grew up in America, you think that it's insincere to pray other people's words. I just want to remind you that when people get married, they read vows, and a lot of times they write them down because it doesn't just mean less when you write it down. It's not insincere. It just means you took the time to really put it, craft, and wordsmith it And these people do that every single day. You don't have to do this. I know some people in our community, they do the Bible in a year thing. That's awesome. Other people have different rhythms. But if you don't have one, in this Christmas season, I want to remind you that our faith is either continually being formed in the image of Christ or deformed. Like we're in a dynamic state with God. Yes, he saved us. He is saving us. He will save us. Your salvation as a whole isn't in jeopardy. You are safe in Christ. You can rest on his death and resurrection for you. But you can also, the Testament's pretty clear about this, you can also be full of faith and empty of faith. We see that even in the disciples themselves. They struggle with doubt all the time. So I want to encourage you to do that. And another, just another passage that I was reading this week that I thought was beautiful is Romans 10. And this is what it says, Romans 10, I know this is long, but so much of this verse has to do with hearing the word of God, listening to him speak, and then why that's so important in giving us faith. So it's the word of faith that welcomes God to go to work and set things right for us. This is the core of our preaching. Say the welcoming word to God, Jesus is my master. Now, I've heard in some sermons that there's nowhere in the New Testament where it says, I want to make Jesus my personal Lord and Savior. This to me is one of those statements in the New Testament in Romans 10 where it says, no, it's important to mark a moment if you haven't and stand up and say, Jesus is my master. He is. And not maybe for the first time, but I think it's as important the thousandth time that you do that. Jesus, you're my master, I'm your apprentice, embracing body and soul, God's work of doing in us what he did in raising Jesus from the dead. Let me pause right there and just say, for me, one of the coolest moments in my journey of faith was my baptism moment. I don't know how many of you have been baptized or what that experience was like, but in Romans chapter six, Paul says that baptism is like the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's being united with him in his death and raised to new life. And if ever there was somebody in this room that was curious about baptism, I would love to talk more with you about that. Sit down over coffee. I have a church down the street that said they would give me their horse trough and we could do a baptism right here. ASU actually told me I could use their swimming pool. I'm not sure how serious they were about that, but Mike just give me a thumbs up. So I'm saying, yeah, that's probably an option too. But I think it's such a beautiful moment where you stand up in front of your family and friends and say, my allegiance and my identity is with the death and resurrection of Jesus. He says, you're not doing anything. You're just simply calling out to God, trusting him to do it for you. That's salvation. With your whole being, you embrace God setting things right, and then you say it right out loud. God has set everything right between him and me. Does that bring a rest within your soul of you're just receiving? Like you're just opening the gift and participating with it. The salvation is all on him to set things right. And then he goes on to say, Scripture reassures us, you know, no one who trusts God like this heart and soul will ever regret it. Come on. It's exactly the same no matter what person religious background may be. It's the same God for all of us, acting in the same incredibly generous way to everybody who calls out for help. Everyone who calls help God gets help. It may not be the kind of help you want in that moment. He may answer it according to his will, not your will, but he is going to help. And then it goes on to say, but how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard the one who can be trusted? How can they hear if nobody tells them? This is kind of a, a plea that Paul is making to the church to be people who speak up, that don't just act in faith, but speak about it. And how is anyone going to tell them unless somebody is sent to do it? So that's why the scriptures proclaim a sight to take your breath away, grand possess- possessions of God's people, telling all the good things of God. Go on, Eden. But not everybody is ready for this, ready to see and hear and act. Isaiah Asked what we all ask at one time or another. Does anyone care, God? Have you guys ever sat in that place? Does anyone care? Is anyone listening and believing a word of it? The point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. And I just want to encourage us as a family. I'm going to stand up here and other people are going to stand up here weekly and preach to you. But I think it's such a gift (laughs) that we get to open the word ourselves every day and be preached to by the Holy Spirit and by the word of God. If it's just a one, one day out a week thing, it's probably not going to stick to your soul. It'd be like you eating one meal a week and saying, I think I'm good. Now hear me on this. You don't have to read even the word of God every day. You can just soak in what's been said. Think of the church for thousands of years who did not have physical Bibles to read in their own homes. What did they do? They reminded each other of it vocally. They talked about it. When they got up in the morning with their kids, when they went to bed, they did all that together. And so we cannot do this alone. We need one another, especially in our families, when believing God is hard. And the truth is, y'all, sometimes it is. And I point to Jesus on the cross where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he meant in that moment, I don't care if you try to explain that away, that's a mystery, y'all. The word of God in life, Jesus Christ crying out to his Father in heaven, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I just want to pray faith over us this morning, in this Christmas season. May we be a people who don't just initially believe that God exists, but make space to listen to God's word, be shaped by his word, be sent out to tell other people the good news, that he will set everything right. So let me pray that, and my friend Mike's gonna come up and give us a communion meditation. Father, thank you for your word that speaks comfort, comfort over us. Where there's valleys in our hearts, would you fill those up? Where there's mountains that seem insurmountable, would you level them out? Where there's crooked things, would you straighten it? Would you smooth out the rough places of our souls inside and out? May we see you, Jesus, in your living word. May we see you in creation. May we notice you in our everyday life. You are speaking. You're a speaking God. And we want to be a listening people, especially in this Christmas season. Thank you, God, for your words. By your Holy Spirit, we will obey because we trust you. Whatever that step of obedience looks like for each of us personally in the room, we will obey because you're a good God. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for listening to the Life and Rhythm podcast. If you'd like to know more about Rhythm Community Church, you can go online at rhythm.community. Peace.